Hey. Oh, hello. What is happening? I'm sorry. When you said, are you ready? Did you mean like that second and not <laughs> two minutes later? Should I have specified? Yes. Thank you for your patience. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's good to be here. Hey, everybody. This is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Austin. And this is Build Phase. How's it going? Oh, you know, it's going okay. <laughs> you have a you have a voodoo situation going on over there? Yeah. My build finally <laughs> submitted. Okay. Literally right when you texted me. It was, are you ready? <laughs> yeah. Build submitted. And so you were like, yes, I am ready. And then your Skype started ringing. Yeah. I, I ran over to the kitchen slash sure. studio area uh-huh. and to see that you had been calling for an indeterminate <laughs> amount of time. Not too long. Well, I'm congrats on shipping. Steve Holt. <laughs> That's an accomplishment. Yeah, it was, um, it was quite the endeavor. <clears throat> half, <laughs> half of it is my own fault. And the other half is typical Xcode beta malarkey. Ah, uh, beta. Are you shipping with the beta already? A test flight build. Ah. When could you start shipping test flight builds with the beta? Immediately? Apparently after after like every beta seed or like a few days later, at some point they're like, yeah, you can submit now. Oh, weird. So I missed that. I had this build to submit yesterday. And keep in mind, I'm already on Xcode beta 4 mm-hmm. because it had come out Monday. Mm-hmm. So that's not unreasonable. And I go to the test flight release notes and it says it requires beta 3 to submit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's annoying, but I I can figure this out. Uh-huh. So, one of our you know CI Mac Pros, I just log into it yep. and make a build because it's still running beta three, and then try to submit it. And then I remember, oh wait, the PayPal firewall prevents us from uploading things to Apple. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. So I go find an old download of Xcode eight beta three, mm-hmm. get it. Takes like ninety minutes. Finally install <laughs> it on my machine. Yeah, and it's making builds with invalid Swift support. It's like okay, and then I, I kind of remember that there's this issue with Carthage right now where when you copy the Carthage frameworks in, it short circuits some process and the Swift standard libraries don't get copied in, or they get copied into the wrong place or something. Oh, weird. So there is a workaround on this Carthage issue, which gets your project compiling, right. but it's not a valid binary that'll be accepted by iTunes connect. <laughs> so, so I spend the next two hours undoing all of the sort of like Carthage copy framework stuff. I just check out, I don't build, I pull all the projects in, yeah. I finally get everything cleaned up and I'm, I'm ready to submit. Uh-huh. So I archive and I submit and I get an error about invalid tool chain because it says that you can't use beta versions of Xcode to submit uh-huh. so at first i'm just like throwing my hands up like, well this is typical malarkey and i go back to the test flight release notes and i guess at some point last night they were updated <laughs> and said that you now need to use beta 4 to submit so if i had checked that this morning i would have saved myself a lot of time i really like the idea that it took you so long to work around these stupid errors it took so long to work around the stupid errors that they had fixed the errors in a different location by the time you got it settled on your end that's pretty incredible yes 
<laughs> so when you were messaging me, I saw the big green check mark and I was like, great success. <laughs> I'm done for the day. Nice. Uh, unbelievable. Well, I'm, I'm sorry for your pain, but that's an incredibly entertaining story. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> you, you were entertained. Yeah. There is something oddly satisfying about this approach of like building everything together. Like not, not yeah, just from projects and workspaces. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I felt like I'm finally doing everything the way that ignorant Apple wants me to do it. Right. So that if something does go wrong, I can like message them with confidence and go, right. your things are broken. <laughs> right. It's not me. It's right. you. <laughs> right. Right. Whereas right now they'll just be like, well, you're using weirdo Carthage or weirdo Cocoa Pods. So Cocoa Pods. Yes. Carthage literally at this moment, the only thing it's doing is checking out and well, that's about it. It's except, except for that they Xcode my understanding Sorry, my dog is sniffing my knee for some reason, and it's weird. Xcode, they still don't expect you to be building frameworks externally as products and then linking them into your app, right? Or am I wrong about that? So, like, Carthage is... What Carthage is doing, theoretically, should be reasonable, right? And that's why I still kind of like it more. But for some reason that use case came as a complete shock to Apple still. And so like, I still don't think that it's technically like a accepted way to use it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not. They've, they fixed the issue where Xcode used to crash when you would stop in a, in a framework Mm -hmm. that was linked, that was compiled externally. Right. And I believe the problem there was like the dwarf paths were absolute. So if you like opened up a binary, it would be pointed at someone else's machine. Right. Whoever, whoever, whoever built it. Yeah. Whoever built it. Yeah. So if you downloaded a Carthage binary, it would be on my machine or sorry, if you downloaded an Argo binary, it would be like some path on my machine. But even inside of a team, if you built it, right. And then I used it, it would be hard coded to your machine. And then even if I built it, and then later cleared my derived data, it would still, it's like, oh, this is so stupid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They've at least patched that, I guess, right. as of like Xcode 7.3.1. Right. So at least it doesn't crash and you can, you can kind of debug. Yeah. Typically what I've been doing is I, I just, I grab the checkout and I pull it into my workspace. Mm-hmm. And once I've done that, I can sort of step around and kind of debug. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, right now I, I wiped out the Carthage folder. I bootstrapped by not building mm-hmm. and then just pulled every project in as a sub-project and then re-added all the frameworks and everything. Mm-hmm. Seems to be working. Works okay. The compile times aren't actually that bad. Mm-hmm. Pretty decent. Maybe that has something to do with my new fancy RAM disk <laughs> for drive data. Highly oh, recommended. you did that. I, I did. saw Joel Levin's tweet about it, but I didn't. He inspired me. I had yeah. just ordered more RAM and I already had it coming in the mail. Mm-hmm. When I saw that, I was like, that's, that's what I'm going to do with the new RAM. Hmm. So I went from 16 to 32. That new 16 is just entirely devoted to being a RAM disk. Do you want to explain what the hell we're talking about? Yes. Well, <laughs> to the best of my knowledge. Sure. You can take available RAM and allocate it in such a way that it appears as a disk. Mm-hmm. It appears on your desktop as like something that can be ejected. My derived data now lives solely on that disk. And 
it has immensely faster read and write speeds than than even like a, a solid state drive. Right. The biggest gains I think I've noticed are in indexing. When it has to index, it goes super, super fast. I should probably like benchmark it. Yeah. Be like, is this is actually worth it or not? But it seems yeah. to work pretty well. So is that something that you then have to basically keep around all the time? Like, how do you even get it so that RAM is partitioned and mounted as a disk? And do you just, is it something that, like, I'm just thinking in my head that what if a future version of Xcode just did that automatically, right? Just like you open Xcode and when you start Xcode, it grabs a bit of RAM and mounts it as a disk for its derived data. And then when you close Xcode, it just tosses it. It could do that, but I wouldn't want it to toss it. Hmm. It seems to survive me logging out and logging back in. Hmm. Um, But you could eject it at any time. And obviously it would be gone. The thing I'm not sure about that is that Xcode would have to make it at some size. And at some point you might exceed all the available space. And then it would have to resize that disk or Hmm. something dynamically. And I don't want Xcode doing more... (laughs) things on my disk <laughs> right fewer things from xcode <laughs> yeah so i i prefer this but so how do you get a disk so i just found a blog post we can put it in the show notes okay. um it's a single command it's a disk util oh, command okay. okay and you give it like how big you want it to be mm-hmm. mine's 16 gigs mm-hmm. and you're done it's cool really really easy <laughs> that's fun yeah i mean to Xcode's credit, I've had to clear the derived data less lately. I will like clean the project. Mm-hmm. But in general, having all these projects inside of Xcode isn't as bad as it might have once been. Yeah. Yeah, I I have the same feeling and like I run my FUX code command very very infrequently. I still clean pretty regularly and I'll even clean the build folder which is like basically that just deletes the derived data for that project but i do that more out of habit than necessity at this point like i'm just conditioned to do like command shift k command shift option k like real fast <laughs> muscle memory and then i in my vim plugin i have like an x clean i've noticed some weirdness like some stale something hanging around if i've built it in xcode and then try building it again in vim or vice versa something gets corrupted or hangs around or something and I end up having to clean and then it's fine. But like, I feel like there was a lot of times where shit would just get stale and there was no way to get rid of it except for blowing away that entire derived data location. Whereas now that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Does Xcode build use a different derived data directory than Xcode itself? I don't think so because that's controlled by the project. Gotcha. Or the workspace. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's that's controlled by the project or the workspace. So if you were to build, I'm not sure. I think it's controlled by the project or the workspace, but I'm, I don't know that for certain. Something else I've noticed is that Xcode seems to build frameworks a lot faster than Xcode build, <laughs> and I'm not sure if it's because it's parallelizing things properly or if Xcode build is just confined to a single core. But we have a bunch of internal dependencies and. The difference between Swift 2.2 and Swift 2.3 is pretty much doesn't affect these libraries. But lately we've been working in like, you know, iOS 9 targeted release mm-hmm. and then like an iOS 10 targeted release. So I haven't been using pre-built binaries at all. I've just been building them. And I've noticed that 
compiling everything together in one project goes so, so much faster than trying to like bootstrap all your dependencies without using binaries and building them in Xcode build. Do you mean actually building them with Xcode build or do you mean building them with Carthage? That's what I mean. Building them with Carthage. So that's probably where the bottleneck is. Right. So I think there's actually, there's an issue that I was reading through the other day on Carthage about those performance issues. It's opened by Jonathan White. And um, it gets down to that, like, Carthage is actually building things multiple times. And depending on how people have their projects set up, it could be building them multiple of multiple times. Like, sometimes, like, you can get yourself in a situation where with just a few dependencies, it builds Reactive Cocoa four times while trying to build one thing, right? Because it'll, like, see that reactive cocoa is a dependency and so it'll build that and then it'll build the thing that it's going to use so like we use this for an example swish right swish has a dependency on argo and swish has a dependency on result we have argo and result listed as dependencies inside the cart file but what actually happens is we also have those pulled in as submodules and are in a workspace. So what actually happens is when you build Swish, it fetches Swish, Argo, and Result, and then it builds Argo and Result, which don't have any dependencies, and it builds those on their own. And then when it goes to build Swish, it builds Swish through the workspace, which also builds Argo and Result. So you end up building Argo and Result twice each, at least, because remember, it's going to do one build per... So if you just build all of the available architectures, of which there are four, it means you're building Argo and Result eight times each, and you're building Swish four times. Is that because that those are explicit target dependencies in the workspace, or is that Xcode finding the implicit dependencies? It's because Carthage is building through the workspace and so the way like swish is set up is really the only sane way to set these projects up where you have a workspace and then i have the swish source the argo source and the result source all pulled in as projects inside this workspace so then yes the workspace lists those as implicit dependencies that should be built before swish itself got it and xcode's not capable of seeing that like this is already built. It's already sitting in derived data. We don't need to build it again. No, because it's a completely different derived data folder, right? Oh, yep. So even if it could see that, like there's no way to get it to work, basically. <laughs> At least not that I know of. I'm sure that there are ways to make it work, but I don't know how. It's pretty nuts. My hope is that Swift Package Manager has a reasonable solution sooner rather than later. I've actually been playing around on Curry with throwing away the project that we created for Curry and just using the one generated by Swift Package Generate Dash Xcode Proj. It actually works well, I think. I basically created a branch of Curry that does that. I'm still checking it in, but it does that. And then I have a branch of Argo that is using that version of Curry, where I basically tried to make zero changes to Argo and see if it still worked. And it seems to have worked. The only problem is that the generate Xcode proj command has the wrong deployment targets for 
basically all of them or not the wrong deployment targets, but not the ones that we actually want to ship with, you know, like we can support back to iOS eight on curry. It doesn't matter, but it sets it to iOS 10. And so we have to go in to the XC config and cause it, it, the nice thing is that it generates this project and then it points to an XC config. So you can actually just add lines to the XC config and it updates, you know, and it works nicely. I like that. So we added, you know, fix the Mac deployment target, added an iOS watch TV deployment target, set the app extension API only flag. Good, right? Except for that then subsequent runs of generate Xcode proj clobber that file. So it's like, dang, that sucks. Like, <laughs> that's a bummer. Oh, and just opening the project file touches the scheme. It modifies the scheme and it creates a project.exe contents file in there too. So it's like you can generate the project and then the second you open the project, it makes the repo dirty. Which is like a gigantic pet peeve of mine. Yeah, it seems like if you're generating the project, you might as well, what SPM should be doing is making an unshared scheme because you're just going to end up with one anyway. Except for it needs to be shared. Because otherwise, Carthage won't work. I mean, for us, it needs to be shared. We would need to share it anyway. Because otherwise, Carthage doesn't work. Got it. Yeah. It's super annoying. What I would much rather do is ship Curry with no Xcode project file in it at all. And maybe an xcconfig file. And have Carthage run Swift package generate xcode proj you know what i mean have it generate an xcode project i want two things to change one i, I would like a way to pass an xcconfig file to the generate xcode proj command basically and then i want carthage to lean on that and just do automatic project generation yeah, that's silly though. It has to generate an Xcode project just to turn around and open it and get the scheme and then build everything. Yes, it's incredibly dumb. But there's no support for static frameworks on iOS. So you can't just use Swift Package Manager directly. Like I can't just do Swift build on that thing and then pull the result into an iOS project. It doesn't work. Wait, why? What? Because Swift build creates a static library and static libraries are not supported. I think it creates a static library. Someone's going to email me or tweet at us and tell me I'm an idiot and that I'm wrong. And I know, but (laughs) bear with me. That sounds right. I do remember seeing that it, I think makes static libraries and I was confused as to why they weren't making dynamic (laughs) frameworks, but right. Right. So the only way to use Swift package manager and get dynamic frameworks is by having it generate an Xcode project, which then generates the Xcode project that is generated actually creates a project that has a target that is able to be built for any platform. Uh, It's doing that universal thing. Yeah. Where it's not actually a single universal binary, but depending on what you tell it to build for, it will build a binary for that thing, which is nice. I like that, right? I did some experiments around that on my own using XE configs in curry. Also curry is like my playground for like, it's such a simple, stupid, simple project that like it's my playground for like, what if I just change all this shit 
<laughs> Does it still work? Hey, all Producer Tom here to tell you about today's sponsor, Hired.com. Searching for a new job can feel stressful, scary, and even time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you roles that you don't actually want, and job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. Sometimes you go all the way through an interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary offer or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. The solution? Hired.com. Hired is the world's most intelligent, talent-matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering, development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. They make the job search faster, focused, and stress-free instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best. Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. Over a four-week time frame, you receive personalized interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about which opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to over 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand name companies like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. The best part? It's always free for you to find your next job on Hired. No exceptions. They pay you to get hired. Today's listeners can earn double their normal $1,000 hiring bonus by signing up today at Hired.com slash BuildPhase. That's right. Earn $2,000 for finding your next chapter on Hired.com slash BuildPhase. Yeah, so unless you use generate Xcode proj, you can't pull Swift packages into Xcode. Honestly, I don't even care about having dynamic frameworks. I don't see the benefit oh, at this either. point. I would take static libs. Me too. Your app will launch faster. Yeah, if we could do that, I would be totally down. I don't know enough about the difference between static libs. Maybe you do. Do you know much about the difference between static libs and dynamic frameworks? Other than like static libs don't have to be linked at runtime? No, I don't know. Because like you saw that issue, right? That in iOS 9 through like 9.3 apps were taking forever to launch and sometimes because they were getting killed because yeah. yeah. they were opening up the dialibs, checking the code <laughs> right. signature on it, linking right. it. And there was that, there was that great thing from, I don't remember who posted it, but one of their suggestions was like, it'd be best if you stayed below like seven dynamic libraries. And then someone like opened up a just a normal Swift project that has nine <laughs> dynamic libraries loaded in because of just from Swift, like not no external dependencies at all. Those are just the ones that come by default. It's like, nice. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen most people's pod files? Dude, I can't even imagine. Like we use fewer, but and yeah. And even those, you know what I mean? It's like, cause now CocoaPods is using frameworks, right? It has to. So yeah, that's terrifying. I can think of projects that I've been on that have over a dozen dependencies easily, easily. I think the pod file in our shipping app has 35 pods in it, if I recall correctly. And how many dependencies do those pods have, right? Oh, yeah. I couldn't even tell you. Yeah. Like, that's the one thing about Carthage that has... It's made me think about things differently, right? Where... Because you have to link explicitly link in the dependencies of your dependencies, it makes me think about that relationship much, much more. Where like in Argo right now, for example, we talked about it on the show, but like I actually removed Argo as a hard dependency a while ago. Sorry, I removed runes as a hard dependency of Argo a while ago to where you didn't have to build runes and you didn't have to import it and you didn't even have to know it was there. We were just... 
basically pulling the source file from runes that define those operators and reusing that internally and then using runes as basically a private dependency. So basically just using part of runes as a dependency and then not exposing that to user. Well, that doesn't work long term as it turns out because of like, well, specifically two things. One, we've had a lot of problems around CocoaPods and their their support of submodules because that's how we're pulling it in. We have runes declared as a submodule, and then we're just pointing at that file. And CocoaPods has support for submodules. All you need to do is pass the submodules equals true flag in your pod spec. But if you, for example, were to say, okay, I want to run master, which we highly suggest not doing, but people do all the time. People want to do that. The way you would do it is in your pod file, you would say, you would say pod Argo git, right? And then pass the git thing. And then all of a sudden people say like, hey, this doesn't work. It's like, well, what do you mean it doesn't work? It's like, well, it's complaining that this file doesn't exist. It's like, oh, right. Because when you specify a specific git path, you have to re-specify that it should be using submodules to fetch that git path. Because if you don't specify, so your pod file, then now our users have to know this stupid edge case workaround that we're using by enabling submodules. And it pops up like once every couple months. Someone says, hey, I think this is broken on CocoaPods. It's like, it's not. What's wrong? It's like, well, I'm pointing it head and it doesn't have this file. Okay, here's how you fix it. So is that, right? And that's just more annoying than anything else. But it was... I don't remember if I pointed this out, if I talked about this on the show since we restarted or not, but there was an assumption that was being made in CocoaPods Git submodule support that was made invalid by a change to Git. So Git 2.9 started passing. If you said to initialize a repository using a recursive strategy, which would say like also initialize any submodules any flag that you pass to that command is also passed to the submodules, which means very, very little most of the time, except the command CocoaPods is using to initialize your submodules has a depth of one. And that flag would then be passed to the Git submodules, which means that only the first commit would be downloaded. Again, not a huge deal, except that if that submodule expected to be at a different commit than head, than the very, very tip of master, if it expected to be any other commit, then it would try to check out that commit. The commit wouldn't exist in the local Git history, and so the entire thing would blow up. So weird, such a random edge case, and it was like really frustrating where I update, and I found it, right, because we were using... CocoaPods on a project and Argo on that project and I had updated Git and all of a sudden nothing was building and stuff was building for everyone else. And I was like, that's the worst place to be, right? When like everyone else is going like, nah, dude, this isn't a problem. And you're like, it clearly is a problem. (laughs) But so then I had to track it down and I figured out what was actually going on after talking to like Caleb in my office and, and some other people. It was just like, finally figured it out. And I had to be the one to fix it in CocoaPods. And so it's fixed. That's not an issue anymore. But that showed me how few people were using (laughs) 
sub-module support, mm-hmm. right? I'm aggressive about updating Git, but like I didn't see any complaints from anyone else that their projects were breaking. You know what I mean? And like I can't imagine that sub-modules are in use that much. So being that far out on the fringe of how CocoaPods are being used, that scared the shit out of me. So I basically started saying, okay, well, I'm going to back off of sub-modules. How did I get into this? Why did I start talking about this? Oh, dependencies, right. So the point of all this being that like, I started thinking harder about our use of Git sub-modules in Argo. And the conclusion I came to is that we need to go back to what we were doing before, right? And exposing runes as a hard dependency of Argo. Because there's two, basically three options. We can keep doing what we're doing, which is you know, an edge case and scary. And also, by the way, wouldn't work anyway for Swift Package Manager. Or we could duplicate that file into the Argo source, which seems dirty and would quickly get out of date and just seems bad. Or we could go back to what how we used to be doing things and just declare runes as a hard dependency. Now you have to link and import Argo and runes when you want to use Argo. We're going to go with that because it seems like the cleanest thing that will work for all available package managers. But because Carthage makes you link dependencies and your dependencies dependencies, that was like a really painful decision to me, right? If we had just had CocoaPods, I wouldn't have thought about it probably at all. I would have just said, yeah, just throw these two imports in and who cares? Because you don't see it linking Argo and runes. All you say is I want, Argo, and then just runes just kind of comes along for the ride invisibly to you. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's probably better to be more aware of what you're actually linking, and that's sort of like the Carthage ideology anyways. To- it's the first thing I do now. It's the very, the very first thing I do if I'm looking at a dependency is I say, what dependencies does this have, right? I open yeah. the pod file or I open the, the cart file, and it's the very first thing I do. Like every single time I say, okay, this thing seems nice, but what is it pulling with it? And nine times out of 10, I'm like, no, that's not worth it. I don't need to link in three more libraries. Freaking Coco Lumberjack, right? Like that is the framework, which is a very nice framework, but everybody adds that freaking thing as a dependency of their library. It's like that in Alamo Fire are just pervasive because everybody, nobody wants to write NSURL session even in their lib, right? And so it's just like this constant thing where I'm, I'm constantly conscious of pulling into dependency is one thing, pulling it, but when you start pulling in dependencies of dependencies and dependencies of dependencies of dependencies, like that sucks. I'm pulling up the release notes for Xcode right now because there was something new in Swift that made it into this release that has to do with operators and I wanted to ask you about it. Oh in relationship yeah. Relationship to runes. It lets you define operators that conform to protocols by nesting them in a type. Oh, I didn't realize the protocol part of it. I thought you could just define them within types. I didn't know that there was more to it than that. I think it's both. I don't think runes has any changes from that. But if we were, for example, to say that if we were able to define like the monad protocol, right? 
if we were able to define the monad protocol and say that monad the monad protocol needs to have this implementation of the flat map operator then instead of it being three or you know however many free functions plus an extension for the named apply method all of that would be inside the extension mm-hmm. i see it yeah their, their example here is equatable right and so such operators must be declared as static or within a class as class final and have the same signature as their global counterparts. As part of this change, operator requirements declared in protocols must also be explicitly declared static. So the equals equals is now part of the equatable protocol itself. Well, it always was. It was always part of the equatable protocol, but since you could never... Like, you can always define those operators as part of a protocol. You could always do that. But what you couldn't do was implement those operators as a member of a type. Got it. I like this. I do too. Because it's all, it's all so weird. You see that extension equatable and then it's an empty thing or extension foo is equatable and then, an em, you know, open close bracket and then like a line break and then the actual method. <laughs> this is much nicer, I think, because it groups that. I like being able to group that stuff together better. There's that. Did you see the other proposal related to operators? I'm not sure if it's making it into Swift three or not, but it's a larger overhaul of how you, you define their like priority precedence. Yeah, the precedence stuff. Yeah, did that get accepted? I thought it did. I'm checking, but accepted maybe. Not sure if it got implemented in time. I think there's still time. Is there still time? I thought they only had till last Friday. They were giving them two more days for anything that was in the process of being implemented. I'm looking. Oh, no. Implemented in Swift 3. Sweet. Neat. That's good because that's kind of the like the big thing that I'm going to do. That does directly impact runes and Argo, really, because we need to now revamp the entire precedence hierarchy of both of those libraries. I'm a big fan of that change. I think that change is fantastic. Like, it always sucked dealing with these like single number values that you had to like push up a little bit or pull down a little bit in order to make it work reasonably with other things. This makes way more sense. Like, oh, this has a greater precedence than this and a lower precedence than this. Figure the rest out, mm-hmm. right? It's like the auto layout of infix operators. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so th- this precedence group, can you sort of think of it as like... It's sort of protocol-like, right? Like yeah. Precedence group, comparison pre- precedence, and then you define the operator as belonging a to member that of that precedence, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that's exactly how it's been in my head, is like protocols. Yeah, we talked about this when I was in Boston last year. So it was a bunch of episodes back, and we, we were having this discussion about... <laughs> like four or five episodes. About if you had multiple libraries that were implementing the same operators, you were getting yeah. undefined behavior. Does this fix that? I don't know. I don't know, because I think those precedences would still be a mismatch. And because there's still special case, like operators are such a weird thing, like operator definitions like this, they don't follow the same rules as like anything else. So you can't, for example, define an internal operator. You know what I mean? Like you can define internal implementations of the operator, the function that backs the operator, but the operator itself you have to expose operators. Like, there's no way not to. So their scope is implicitly public? Implicitly public. Got it. So that's why runes works 
the way it did. And that's why we were able to include it as an implicit internal dependency of Argo. All we did was compile that runes.swift that holds all the operator definitions. All we did was compile that into the project and bang, you got it alongside Argo. And that's why, and that's why frustratingly, when now that we're moving back to having runes as a hard dependency, you're going to have to explicitly import Argo and then explicitly import runes because by importing runes, you get those operator definitions and then Argo supplies the operator implementations. You see what I mean? Yes. It's so bizarre. So why aren't the implementations in runes? Because they're specific to the decoded type. So the other way to go, like, uh, you know what I mean? The whole reason runes exists in the first place is because when we started out with Argo, we were using optional. And it didn't make sense to have these monadic operators defined for array and optional living inside Argo. Like, we were pulling in Argo in places where we didn't actually need JSON parsing. We just wanted to use these infix operators. So instead, we extracted all that stuff into runes and then made it a dependency. But then we changed the underlying type that Argo was using away from optional into this decoded type. So now you have this split where the operator definitions live in runes and the operator implementations live in Argo. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah, yeah. So the operator itself is declared as a as like infix or postfix or whatever. Right. Right. The actual implementation that relates to the yes. decoded type is in. Yes. Got right. it. And then runes itself has other implementations of that operator for array and for optional. And, you know what I mean? Right. And you can't provide generic implementations of those operators in runes because... We don't have monads. <laughs> because of the lack of higher kind of types? Because of the lack of higher kind of types. Got it. Okay. I'm with you now. Bummer. Maybe Swift 6. <laughs> one of these days. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Hey, Chris Latner's. I sent you a text message that just said, holy shit, this document says higher kind of types in it. But Chris Latner had that. I think it was Chris, right? He did that thing about like the future, basically talking about what Swift 4 was going to look like and what the goals for Swift 4 were going to be. And the words higher kind of types exists on that page <laughs> mm -hmm. well because they were mentioned in that generics manifesto right and i suppose that that's the type of thing that they have to do before they can have a stable abi because you couldn't add that later you have to implement the things so the key here is that you have to implement the language features that would make higher kind of types possible right the word monad never has to appear in the swift standard library ever right but we need the language features to be able to create higher kind of types in order to implement Monad, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Basically, yeah, we need to be able to create types that are generic over a wildcard, right? Yeah. A higher kind of type is a type that's generic over something, but there's a hole there, and you have to fill that, that yeah, hole and in that's, the type. And that's generally just generics, but the point here is you need to be able to declare a protocol that does that. And you need to be like you need to be able to declare generic protocols beyond what we're currently doing with you need like three or four things, but basically what you need is you need to be able to declare a generic protocol, as in I need to be able to declare a protocol called monad that has an associated type T. 
right? And inside the context of that, I need to be able to treat that as a specific type, like a monad of array of T, right? Mm-hmm. I need to be able to say that that is a type. And then I, what I, critically, what I also need to be able to do, or I need to say an array is a monad, an array of T is a, is a monad. I'm confusing myself. But the point here is I need to be able to have a generic protocol, and then I need to be able to disconnect the parent type from the contained type. Right. I, I need to be able to be generic over those independently. Because, like, I know it's... it's <laughs> I, I kind of see it as, like, you have, you have something that's generic over T, and you have something else that's also generic over T, and you can use them together because of how they share the relationship to T and not necessarily their own like resolve yes. types. Yes, but like so jumping back to like map for example. If you look at the way map or f map in Haskell but like map in Swift, if you look at the way map is defined, it needs to take a functor of A and a function from A to B and it will give you a functor of B. Okay, so that functor of A and functor of B are the important things, because what that has to say is that has to say that doesn't mean a specific functor of A. So what we have now is close. What we have now is say, give me an array of A and a function from A to B, and I will give you an array of B. Right. So we're generic over part of that. The contained type we're able to be generic over. But what I can't do is say this function takes any f of a and a function from a to b and gives you an f of b, where f is a generic type that is itself a functor. Right, because you you want to constrain these two different types that are they can both be generic over the same type. So yes, if, if you map on a set right now in Swift, the only thing you can get back is an array of t. Right, but right, right but you want to be able to say that like. I'll take anything that's generic over something as long as that something is the same as what I'm generic over. Yes, exactly. And that's the key to all this is Mm -hmm. being able to make that guarantee inside the type system isn't what's possible right now. And because it's not possible, it means like it would be awesome. Like, cause we could just ship runes. Runes would shrink in size drastically, right? Because we would have one, we would just have the operator definitions and the operator declarations that would be generic over functor, applicative, and monad, right? And then we would have an extension for array and optional to make them conform to functor, applicative, and monad. And then we would make decoded, in Argo, we would make decoded a functor, applicative, and monad as well. And we would just get all those operator definitions for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... In my head, it looks like if we're using the angle bracket syntax yeah, to yeah. define a type that's generic, you have functor, angle mm-hmm. brackets, question mark, angle brackets, some type, right? And then we can... Yeah. We, and then whereas like the question mark is replaced by the context in which that code is used, but the only thing constraining them is the very most inner type T. That like as long as those are the same, we can go from array of T to set of T, from set of T to array of T, from array of t to stream of t like it doesn't right. matter right right exactly yeah, at one point i spent like three hours one morning like just literally like driving that information into my brain <laughs> just really committing it to memory and there's there's lots of uh 
other terms around that that I remembered for about 45 minutes and now those are sure. gone. But yeah. I, I roughly have an idea of like what this is supposed to do. Yeah. What this will get us. The only thing in this conversation that I realized is I have a pretty good idea of what it would look like to define like in my head anyway, in my fake brain syntax, what it would look like to define the monad protocol or the functor protocol itself. But I'm very unclear on what that would look like to say that something conforms to it. Like I'm having trouble getting a syntax that looks even reasonable in my head, but I guess it would be array extension array colon functor angle brackets wrapped. It's probably what it looked like. Uh, or generator dot element. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sorry. I'm I'm talking about optional. Sorry. Oh yeah. yeah. Optional. Yeah. Wrapped. Yeah. 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 So anything that's generic over the same thing that I'm generic over. Right. Yeah. Right. Anyway. (laughs) Cool. That was a healthy chat. Yeah. That was good. Oh, we didn't even talk about the trade deadline or anything. Uh, well, I actually wanted to a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I was so wrapped up in the iTunes Connect stuff that I wasn't even thinking about baseball. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, we uh, we put our our shiny new trade deadline acquisition on the mound today. He did okay. He did all right. Six innings, two runs, three hits, four hits, and six quality. walks. It's quality. Ooh, it's six a, walks. It's amazing you escape with two runs. Get you know with six walks, but. What's the cutoff for a quality start? Like technically, like if you're saying like that is objectively a quality start, like because it's it's definitely like two runs. It's definitely like six innings, two runs. That sounds right. right. That sounds right. I'm not sure. But there's got there's got to be a hit and walk part of that. Let's look it up because I want to know now. (laughs) Okay, quality start. In baseball, a quality start is is a statistic for a starting pitcher defined as at least six innings and permits no more than three earned runs. That's it. Three runs. Oh, that's it. So that's it's it. just it's just innings and runs. Yeah, oh, um, that's good. I, I wasn't too worried about the walks because there were a lot of walks happening on the other side as well. So it was just mm-hmm. the umpire with a very 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 tight strike zone. Um, mm. Your boy Vince Velasquez pitched for mm-hmm. the Phillies today, and I think he gave up six walks or something, which is very uncharacteristic for him. Yeah. He's all about that command. So mm-hmm. it's not that they pitched poorly. I hate that you call him my boy. <laughs> He's pitching for the Phillies. <laughs> but basically, he came up through the Astros farm system. I know, so I know he did. He's yours. He belongs <laughs> to you. I will refer to him as such. <laughs> okay. I was also going to razz you about Alex Bregman and his impressive one for 34 at the plate. I know. I don't know how these guys, him and AJ Reed, are both doing the same thing where they like. They sit in AAA and they hit like 600. <laughs> and then the second they get up to the major leagues, they bat about like I do. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I, understand how that's possible. I, I think it's funny because I, I follow a fair amount of Astros people on Twitter too. And ever since the Futures game, no one would shut up about Alex Bregman. And then he finally gets his call up. He's not doing well. No one says anything. All of a sudden, Joe Musgrove is the new. That's right. what everyone's talking that's, about. That's kind of the Astros way. It's, right. it's, we do that a lot. <laughs> oh, this prospect's not doing well. Put him in the garbage. Let's bring up the new one. AJ Reed. Everyone, AJ Reed got called up. Everyone was flipping out. And then he couldn't hit. And so then everyone, that's when people switched to Bregman. And then Bregman got called up. Even uh, who? Uh, Colin Moran. 
we called him up a while back, didn't hit. Like everyone was flipping out. I was like, oh, finally. And then he couldn't hit, send him back. It happens a lot. It happens a lot. We like our prospects, but I feel like we like them more when they are prospects, less yeah. when they're actual players. I mean, you actually have a farm system. Like, it's, yeah. that's capable and it produces things. Right. Like, our farm system post deadline is it's a desert. There's a tumbleweed. <laughs> And there's at one third, guy throwing base. 78 mile an hour fastballs. <laughs> That's it. But that tumbleweed's like plus two war, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's going to be huge. <laughs> All right. We can wrap it up. All right. Show notes for this episode are going to be found at buildphase.fm slash 103. As always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at hosts at buildphase.fm or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. And we really appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. All right. Cool, man. Yep. Talk to you later. Good talking to you. Later. See you.